I'm Jay Mac. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Base Code Podcast. All right. This is different. This is uh, morning for me. Morning for you and late evening for me. I might be a little bit froggy because I literally just rolled out of bed <laughs> and I'm kind of glad there's no video attached to this. Yeah, I um I lost my voice on the weekend just past and it only just kind of started coming back kind of yesterday, so I feel a bit croaky as well. Yeah, it sounds fine to me, so. Good. Cool. What have you uh what have you been working on? Anything during the week? This is later in the week for us to record too, so. It is, yeah. Um I've been working on my little personal projects. I've actually had a rather annoying situation with regards to naming, so today is quite a uh a good uh, a good topic. Awesome. The name that I had chosen for my project. Uh, turns out someone else decided that their name was too close to it and have come after me and my business partner. So now we have to change our name. Oh, no. Just as a tangent, like as bad as it sounds, until there is kind of a formal request to have it be changed or whatever, or like you're obviously infringing on a trademark, like... This was on a uh, on a lawyer's letterhead. Uh, well, then they have the time exactly to be formal about it. Yes. I just remember when I made my iPhone app a while back. Gosh, that was probably like 2009. Maybe it was the first year in the store. And we got a cease and desist from the NCAA. And they were basically just like, you're using you know our trademark names in your app. And, you know, we changed it, of course. Um, you know, we were just again kind of naive that like you know sweet 16 was a trademark term like we knew things like final four and you know march madness of course these things were trademarked and we steered away from those but they had it all the way down like the sweet 16 the elite eight all, i mean all the number all the naming numbers and it was just difficult because it kind of took away from the app because it was a bracket tracking march madness app because you had to call it like march tournament you know and it just Right. I've never heard any of these terms, so I don't even know what they mean. <laughs> oh, that's fair. I forgot. Okay. Anyway. But I get I get your point. Fair enough. Okay. Well, yeah. Let's get into it then. Um, to kind of segue into it really smoothly, I was really thinking about how like the scope of the, of the arena that you're naming something in really affects something. So the bigger the scope, the harder it is to name it. So if you're naming a business or something... The scope is kind of like the world, the planet Earth. You've got to kind of come up with something that's unique and meaningful in that large scope. And if you bring that right down to code, if you've got some like, you know, like a, just a long procedural script and you've got a variable, but everything's kind of in scope, everything's got this global scope, you've still got to be super careful with your name. But then when you can bring it down into smaller chunks and encapsulate things into like functions and classes and that, when you reduce the scope, the naming becomes easier because you don't have to worry about those collisions and all that sort of stuff. I think it's a really good analogy, actually. You know, I'll go ahead and admit that a lot of the influence for this chapter came from clean code, you know, 400 page book on writing clean code. But naming, I remember distinctly there being just like a set of rules in there and just these kind of guidelines and, and all sorts of things to help you name. So there's probably a lot of crossover uh, between that. But the point is, I remember something in there, you know, kind of being a guideline of like the higher in scope, the more time you would want to spend on your name. And I think that parallels really nicely with what you're saying is like, if this is just something in like a really 
like private you know method and it's a local to like a loop inside of that method well then that scope is like really really low and maybe it's not a big deal to just call that variable name i right for the loop variable yeah like no big deal but if you have a class or a package that's to your point shared amongst the community you might want to make sure that that name you know is going to make sense and you know communicate uh, to that audience, that larger audience of like what this does. Yeah, so there's I guess there's two two components to the scope. One is is conveying the right the right uh, the right message at the right level, and then also with the whole collision of not you know not naming something that's going to collide with another thing at the same well that it, it's in the same scope. Sure. Well, maybe let's back up just a second and kind of um, not necessarily go in order with base code, but just start with maybe some of the simpler guidelines that are maybe things we can probably all agree on. Sure. And then we'll get into maybe some of the more, you know, maybe a little more challenging. Sounds good to me. So I guess, you know, we've made the joke a thousand times and, and this isn't uh, us. This is actually a common joke in programming. And I think I think the originator was Phil Carlton. At least that's who I attribute it to in base code. But uh, they say there are only two hard things in computer science, cache invalidation and naming things. And of course, there's like a million iterations on this on Twitter and so forth. My, my favorite iteration on this was actually uh, there are two hard things in programming, cache invalidation, naming things, and off by one errors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like so that. that added like another layer to it. So I always thought that was really good. I don't know who the originator of that was, but I'm definitely guilty of off by one errors, as we've seen in our own podcast here. I think we all are. So what I try to do, I guess, is make naming things easy because sometimes the psychology of a situation is when you claim that something's hard then you you kind of enter that situation as if this is going to be hard that's what happens with vim the text editor everyone thinks it's hard so then they go into it thinking it's hard and it gets this reputation for being hard and no one wants to touch it and it's a sweet editor so no, exactly. Another another perfect analog. Like, yeah, I, I remember a couple of years ago when, you know, I was on a team where we, you know, did pair programming and my pair for that time when we were working on that particular project, he was huge Vim. And so every time I pair with him, had to be in Vim. I totally now looking back, like, thank that because it just got me over that hurdle of, like you said, that perception that this is just like, oh my God, this is so slow and it's line noise and like, I'm in like the terminal editing. Come on, let's go get like a powerful editor. But it's super powerful. There are things that I still cannot find doing in, you know, my daily IDE that I remember doing in, in Vim. And I, in fact, if it's a really small edit, I'll just fire up Vim to do that one thing. Yeah. And so to bring it back to naming, like, you know, again, don't get stuck. This is a big thing that I, I've probably preached a lot. Like just don't allow yourself to get stuck. Like when it comes to naming, especially like if you're sitting there and you're thinking, what do I name this? Literally just call it X, Y, Z, like to start. Okay. Don't commit that, <laughs> but just, just call it whatever. I have named variables, whatever, just to keep the keyboard moving, you know, just to keep typing, keep the code flowing. I'm, I'm guilty of using blah as my go-to variable name. <laughs> There's no guilt is my point. Well, yeah, true. Don't feel guilty. Just name it and move on because the trick there is that as you write more code, your brain subconsciously is you know on the back burner, on the back threads 
of your mind is going to be thinking about, okay, well, what is that thing really? You know, and it's going to be like, oh, I know what to call this. And you can just change it yeah. very quickly, hopefully, in your awesome editor. And not only that, once you write extra code and you realize how you're going to use that variable and you see how it's being, you know, how it's implemented, you'll see how it fits in better and the name might become more obvious. Exactly. And I think what we're talking about here, which kind of brings to that next guideline, is context. You need to allow the context of how that variable is being used you know, again, what does it do in relation to the code? What does it do technically? What does it do in relation to the domain? All of these contexts can be wrapped together to give you a richer name. This actually lends to also removing things from a name. So a lot of the times developers can have a tendency to put like type information in a name. But again, you can extract that from the context very easily. So there's kind of no reason to muddle up these technical aspects of the name when, you know, we can see from the assignment on the right side of the equals is a one. So there's really no reason to, to call it like one or call it int one or, yeah. you know, obviously to most of us, these seem like ridiculous names, but maybe when you're starting out or maybe depending on your language, maybe that's more prevalent. And I would argue from a readability standpoint that that's not enriching the context, you know, as humans. Yeah, I think like the whole thing with naming, you know, prefixing that is a bit of like an old school kind of technique. I think it is convention still in some languages, but I think it has fallen out of favor in favor of, you know, naming things a bit more, you know, human readable. I'm just old enough to know these languages, but I actually never wrote in them. But you're right. I, I know that rooted, you know, back in, you know, Fortran or COBOL, like that was actually, I think in some cases, not just convention, it was actually a requirement to denote the type of, you know, that particular variable. But, you know, we're not there anymore, so we can let go of that convention. Yeah. Fortunately, we're not there. We've reached a higher level. We have, yeah. So there's actually just two more quick guidelines I can jump into real fast. The first is avoid abbreviations. Again, there's no reason, you know, kind of just going back to the, to the olden times of programming, you know, there's no reason to save those bytes like... Again, feel free to use a full verbose name. You don't need to call something, you know, perm when you can call it permissions. Again, in the powerful editors that we have nowadays and the powerful computers that our programs run on, you know, it should just kind of be a no-brainer to, instead of optimize for the computer, again, optimize for readability, optimize for the human. Don't use abbreviations. And then the second one is follow conventions. Uh, and this kind of relates back to that for loop, but there's other constructs, you know, inside of programming that this relates to. But like classic for loop is, you know, for i equals zero, i less than 10, you know, i plus plus, right? And it's just going to loop over something 10 times. And there's no reason to call that like w. Yeah. There's just the convention of every language is i. It's just like hello world. For better or worse, that's just a convention. And so, especially when you have them cross language, just go with it. Like, there's no reason to fight it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same as like, you know, identifier, you know, ID is short for identifier, but... Exactly. That's kind of a known convention. And even well-known initialisms, you know, like um, HTTP, for example. You know, if you're having a variable, you wouldn't say, I've got to write out hypertext, you know, transfer protocol. But conversely, you wouldn't make up your own acronym for a hot dog controller, you wouldn't call it a HDC, you know? 
<laughs> yeah. 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 And so even there, we can start to see how these guidelines, you know, it does become a little bit unclear, but at the same time, how they can work together. Like, yes, don't use abbreviations, but if something's contextually makes sense or it's a convention, then, you know, you've got your two out of three. So HTTP, technically speaking, it's an initialism, therefore an abbreviation. It's, you know, one of those things that it's a common convention and, it, you know, it has the context of programming kind of helping it. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, it's also really important to, like we are talking about f before, keeping that kind of domain context, like modeling the way you talk about things in the real world as close as possible so that when you're talking with, you know, clients or the business about a particular concept in your, your app, your names, like your database tables, your models and everything match those real world languages so that yeah. there's not this sort of this, this translation. I remember a project I worked on and we came up with a, a word to use for a particular concept. We created all the database tables, all the controllers, everything else. And then the client actually decided they wanted to rename, like call this thing by a different name. And because we'd already created all this stuff, it was too much work now to go back and rename everything. We'd have to do all this data migration because like the thing was, you know, in production. And for the life of that project, it was painful because we'd have you know, meetings where people are talking about this concept in one way, but we had to do this mental thing in our head of like, oh, that's actually this thing in the database. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely inertia, but I think the more important point is that that kind of plagued you, that whole project, yeah. that it's like new developers that came on, you had to be like, oh, yeah, when we say this, we really mean this. And, you know, you wonder, yeah, sure, it, it probably wasn't worth the cost, but you wonder, gosh, should you have just bitten the bullet and taken the time to rename that, you know, yeah. how bad would it have really been? So, again, you know, don't make naming things hard or even harder on yourself, you know, do, do the best you can to, uh, to kind of fix those problems as you encounter them. That database thing you mentioned made me think of maybe another example for kind of leverage in that context. I think you know, when you have a database and you're naming the columns, I think sometimes it can be a convention to prefix each column name with the table name. In my opinion, you're not leveraging your context there because you're already within the user table. So there's really no reason to have the column user underscore password. You already have the context that that password column yeah. belongs to the user table, which belongs to this higher order object. And again, database is low in scope. So as you move up the scope, you have the opportunity to wrap that with more context, wrap that with higher order names, you know, that apply more to the domain. But again, just kind of how you can leverage that context all the way through your application, even beyond the code and into something like the database. Yeah, I've seen the same thing with classes, you know, a user class where every property on the class is prefixed with user. Sure. It's, you know, probably like the database leaking through, but then it comes through to, you know, JSON payloads. And it's just, yeah, it just gets messy. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and I think that's a good point. Like, you know, it, it seems like a trivial thing, right? And, and what's the big deal if I prefix it with that additional context? But to your point, that kind of permeates through the code everywhere. And now it's almost this noise by the time it reaches these other levels. So maybe in that isolated context, sure, there's an argument to be made. But as you think about, like you said, Okay, I pulled this from the database, so now it has to have a property name that matches, and now that's going to be reflected in the payloads from the API, and now that's probably going to be on the, in the front end where they want to name the field of the entry form, you know, yeah. so it's just, now it's everywhere. 
And the same thing happens with, with method names. Like I've seen a user class and it might have a method that's, you know, rename user, but you don't need to say user again. If, when you're looking at the, at the method declaration, you're seeing the word user once. But if you think about when you're actually using the method, you've already got, you know, the, the user variable, you know, whatever your, your object is instantiated as. So you'll have user rename. You don't want to have user rename user. It's just clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was mind bending. Something I, I kind of hinted on last time and just wanted to come back to now that I have an example in front of me are also kind of, don't be afraid of like long method names. And this is something that I really got comfortable with after working with Objective-C for so long. And one of their examples is, um, it's from their string class, and it's basically a, a way to pad a string. But this method signature is string by padding to length with string starting at index. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's uh, no ambiguity there. Exactly. Like, it's, it's laughable in a way of how long it is because it's a bit foreign unless, of course, you, you use Objective-C. And it's split up, of course, in the code. But, yeah, exactly. It's... it's not only human readable just in me, you know, kind of reading the method definition, but when you stop and put those arguments in there, like, you know exactly what this thing does, like exactly what this thing does. So I'm not saying that we need to always use such verbose method names. In fact, I think names can be too verbose. It's one of those things where you could probably cut some of that down. But again, don't be afraid of verbose names is the point. Definitely. Yeah, so we're probably getting into maybe more of the subjective stuff. So there's there's a couple other um, guidelines here to just kind of, you know, put us on the path. But uh, human readability, I, again, I think we touched on this or I touched on this a little bit earlier. Like, you know, personally, I want to make sure that my names relay more human context. So you'll see me put an emphasis on that more so than the technical aspect. And I think you mentioned this kind of in passing again with your story about how you needed to rename something or the client rename something. Like that's another context you can leverage. Like again, if you don't know a good name for something and you're new to a project or new to a team, but you're listening during those client meetings, you're listening during your standups, what do you all call it? You know, when you're talking about it with each other, use these things to leverage that human aspect of these names. Like if you're calling it widget in your stand-ups, call it widget in your code. Like it's just, it's going to parallel code with reality. And I think that's when we get that human readability, you know, at its max. I had the same thing the other day. I had, um, you know, I was trying to work out what to call something. And in the UI that we don't actually refer to this thing by a name. So it was kind of, how do I name this? So I spoke to my business partner. And I was like, if you were talking to a customer about this feature or about this thing, what would you actually call it? Like, how would you refer to it? If you were writing support documentation, how would you refer to this particular, you know, item? And we ended up coming up with a name that we could use to refer to it. And then from then on, everything else was easy. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect example. I mean, you just took a few minutes and had a human conversation to figure out a human name. Whereas if you sat there at the keyboard and just stared at your editor, like, you probably A, wouldn't have come up with a name very quickly or as quick. And B, it would have, you know, been terrible. <laughs> yeah. And once we did come up with a name for it later on, like a good name, then we've got that whole translation issue again, where every time they say this thing, I've got to go, oh, I know that in the database, that's actually this thing. Exactly. And, and I think that kind of brings to the next point is I like to express the domain. So yes, I want it to be human, but I want it to be human with a focus on 
the domain. And again, you know, I, I said this a second ago with like paralleling, you know, your code with the real world. But let's say you're building an application that, you know, helps manage zoos. And, you know, initially you have this employee class. And that's pretty common. We, we could all understand that in the real world. And maybe there's a method on there called work. But that doesn't maybe express the domain. And so in this case, you know, we're working with a zoo and maybe these aren't really employees in reality. You know, if we push a little bit, they're zookeepers. And the work that they do is, you know, not generic. They have very specific bits of work that they do, like feed. Maybe you start with employee and work, but that's again, where you do that background processing. You listen in meetings and you realize, oh my gosh, these, these people aren't employees necessarily. I mean, they are, but more importantly, they're zookeepers. And now what that does is open up this whole vocabulary to give you all sorts of names, to make naming easier at all sorts of levels. You know, Now when you're making a method, it's like, what is this zookeeper doing? And you have additional context. And we start to see all this play together to just ultimately make naming things a lot easier. Yeah, I really like that example. I think, you know, making things less generic Sometimes it can be scary because you might think, oh, what if, you know, this scenario happens and I want it to be generic enough for that. But the reality I've tended to find is that by being a little bit more specific in some of those cases, you do end up with yeah, with richer code, as you say. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I, I mean, I'm guilty of doing this, but sometimes you'll be using a particular pattern and then you'll be tempted to use the kind of the pattern names to describe it because you feel like maybe that helps other people who are seeing it go oh I know what this is now because it's named with this particular type of pattern like whether it's like a factory pattern or yeah you know like an event you know pub sub kind of thing user factory or database manager yeah it's another one of those things where sometimes there's a, a a richer name that reads more like English when you're um yeah, when you're when you're reading the code, which makes it you know less mental overhead sometimes. I do think those are harder to break away from. It's something that takes, again, probably more of that background processing, but but also a challenge to yourself to what is this name? And I think I think that has the potential again to really get subjective. And I think that's, in my opinion, that's probably why I even shy away from it sometimes and just leave the database manager you know class, even though there's probably a better name, but you need to be careful because you don't want to name it something that's like really subjective and, and ends up not being as readable as even kind of the generic domain manager. So yeah. those are a bit harder. I don't have a clear path through there. But I think, again, if you listen to the context, maybe you can leverage that context in there and it doesn't have to be as generic and as technical. Yeah. I think that probably the the worst case I tend to see is when people just call something a service because... I couldn't think of anything else. So it's just that's kind of the go-to name is this isn't, you know, something else. So it's a service. Something I do try with that, just to maybe the closing example, is if I'm really wanting to get a better name for something, I'll spend a few minutes and actually just jump out to Thesaurus and just kind of enter that name, enter manager, enter event, enter service, and just spend a minute and click through. Okay, and again, this can backfire because you can end up with a super hipster name if you really <laughs> go deep in the dictionary. But the point is, is that if nothing else, it's going to get the mind flowing. The best case scenario is you see a word in that list that you're already using in meetings or you've heard the client use, and now you can make that connection. You know, kind of the next best case is that you find a word that fits 
better and expresses the domain a little better from your point of view. And again, you can just continue to iterate. Don't be afraid to iterate. No name is final, right? Just allow that iteration to happen, just like your code evolves. Allow the name to evolve. But to the point we made earlier, if, if you ever find out there is a quote-unquote right name for something, go ahead and correct it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, I do like, I think that the thesaurus tip is a really good one. And I've, yeah, I've definitely in the past gone to do that, um, but probably not as often as I could. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the closing bit for me is really just, you know, don't beat yourself up over it. Um, you know, naming is something I think on the outset that can be difficult. I'm not going to call it hard, but it's really only if you force yourself in that moment to create the perfect name. And if you allow yourself to just kind of let go of that burden and trust that over time, this name will kind of naturally appear. Just, you know, it's one of those things like even when you learn a new word beyond code, right? If, if I hear someone use a new word and I take the time to, oh, what does that mean? Or I go look it up in the dictionary myself. Think about how many times you hear that word in the next few days. Yeah. Because you're in tune to it now, right? I mean, this is just a natural phenomenon. The same can happen with code. So, you know, don't worry about getting that name perfect. Let it kind of sit on the background threads in your mind and I guarantee you you're going to wake up or you're going to be in a meeting and your ears are just going to catch that right name and then go change it. No big deal. Easy peasy. Yeah. I do have a quick question for you. Okay, cool. So, what would be your view on uh, using prefixes, but also suffixes in terms of user factory, user model, user controller, user this, user that. In general, or like with class names? With a class name. Do you suffix them all, even if they're namespaced within, like if you've got a controller's directory, do you call it user controller? If you've got a, Ooh. you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And, you know, as usual, the answer is it depends. But, you know, I like providing answers. So I don't tend to prefix with the object name, meaning user in this case. I'll try not to prefix with that um, unless there is just kind of this parallel object hierarchy that's happening. And if that's happening, then, of course, I would need to prefix with user just to denote that it's different than the other types of factories that are in this directory. And the other thing is, you know, going back to the controllers, that's interesting that you asked that because every now and then when I fire up a new project, I'll try a different naming convention to see how it feels. So for example, in controllers, it seems silly to me to have user controller. We kind of already know that, again, with the context of being in the controller's directory, the context inside the class definition, it's extending a controller. So we, we have this context of being a controller all around us. So why call it user controller? And I tried that for a project, and I just didn't end up sticking with it because I think it was one of those things where that guideline of convention outweighed maybe my desire to have a leveraging context, you know, shorter name. And I spent the time to go back and change it too uh, in that project because I didn't want it to be some one-off bastardized project where I had this weird naming convention. Yeah, and I think with a controller, you're probably never going to instantiate that controller yourself somewhere. So you're never going to run into the other problem that you can have when you don't have a suffix on your class names where 
you might have actually two user classes. One's the user model and one's the user factory. Yeah, how it's referenced and how it's used also plays a big factor. So something I did stick with that maybe is a little different than convention is, this is a bit specific to, to Laravel, there's the form request object. So you can kind of make your own uh, request objects. And the convention there too is to suffix with request. But when you're using that, you're injecting it into your controller methods. If you read that line, it basically, the common convention there is to call that parameter that you're passing in request. Yep. So now this reads like form object request request. Yep. So when you have that repeating happening, then I'm more willing to drop it. Then I'm more willing to potentially say, look, I understand the convention is to have the suffix of request, but it's one of those things where, you know, it doesn't read very well. Yeah, it's hard. Good question. Thanks. Cool. And to that point, or reach out to us, send us your question. Um, it'd be cool maybe to do uh, a, a ending section of, of the podcast with questions or our final episode uh, with questions. That could be cool too. Yeah, I'm very keen to get some questions and just other people's takes on stuff as well. Because I'm not certainly saying I've got all the answers because time has shown that I do not. <laughs> well, that's okay. None of us do really. So that's that's the whole point of the podcast. Try to share what we know. Yeah. So cool. All right. So next time is, oh, wow. The ominous uh, removing comments. This is This is probably, honestly, like this one put me on the path, even though I didn't know it, probably to writing this book like 10 years ago. So, wow, okay. So this would be cool. So maybe I'll lead in with a little bit of that story um, next time. Look forward to it. Well, since we recorded this late, I'll see you in a couple days then. Yeah. All right. See you. See ya. Show notes for this episode can be found at basecodefieldguide.com slash six.